Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with comedian Mike Kaplan about Dan Byrne's 2001 album, New American Language. Last year, I spoke with Mike on his podcast, Broccoli and Ice Cream. It was an honor to connect with him again, and we had a lovely chat about music, comedy, and about how sometimes the two meet. Mike released a new album, aka Last Year. It's really great. Go to MikeKaplan.com to see if Mike is performing near you. Also, please check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash spinning out pod we have a whole other feed going over there and we drop a new episode every week with my co-host sarah blumenthal so please go subscribe for one dollar or more also follow us on twitter and instagram at spinning out pod don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts and wherever you listen or simply tell a friend and give us some feedback online every little bit helps okay let's chat with my friend Mike Kaplan. Hey, Mike, how's it going? I am uh, doing okay, thank you. Uh, right now in Pittsburgh, doing a show tonight, uh, outdoors, looking forward to it. Was supposed to have one last night. It got rained out, uh, a torrential downpour uh, that gave me the night off, which I was, because I had to have it, happy to have. And uh, and all the people who uh, were supposed to come last night, hopefully, will transfer those tickets and come and we'll have an even Bigger, better stand-up show. I'm a stand-up comedian. You know that. But for the people listening, maybe they don't know that. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm excited especially to do shows these days that are uh, safe and healthy and, uh, and, you know, either all vaccinated or... Uh, or outdoors and you know as possible those so I'm I'm excited for this Pittsburgh show I don't think I performed here for maybe five six seven years Mm -hmm. yeah normally this would be the place where I talk I say this is the album we're talking about but um, the kind of like getting back to shows thing like it's it's interesting I mean we all lived through the last year that we did like how is it like in the comedy world do you feel like you're perp- you're making a decision to kind of do most of your shows outdoors, or is that like a nor- is that the, the kind of norm for comedy, or is that there's no way to really gauge that? Uh, I don't know if there. I think there's a lot of different norms, which maybe means there is no specific norm. Like there's some people who are not doing shows at all. There's some people who have been doing shows throughout. Uh, you know, there's a whole spectrum. Like I. I did not do. I did outdoor a few outdoor shows last summer, uh, but mainly didn't perform live for until vaccination. And then uh, in New York, there's a few. I, I think all the clubs now actually require vaccination for performers and audience members. Uh, so that is there's like some still some rooftop outdoor shows, but I do feel comfortable doing like certainly all vaccinated shows. I also did go on a little bit of a tour uh, to different states that did not have those requirements. And uh, I I hope and feel that like, you know, 
I'd like to think that the people who are coming out to see me, the people who want to see me are uh, more likely to want to also be vaccinated uh, based on the the kind of person I am and the things that I talk about and think about. Do you hear yelling in the background? There is a little yelling. There's I hope that person is okay. Yeah, I also do. I'm not sure. This ne- this podcast is now going to be to see if that person's okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see if it gets to that point. Yeah. Or we uh, might have to rescue them. Well, you would rescue them. I, I, w- I would just be here. Thanks for the support. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the place I'm staying uh, is uh, there's a new, I would say like a comedy compound in, uh, in Pittsburgh that a friend of mine... Uh, it's not even specifically like open yet, but there is like, you know, places uh-huh. uh, to stay for wandering comedians uh, coming through town. And uh, and they're, so they're doing some work on the buildings. And uh, I hope that. Yeah, I hope everyone's OK. Yeah. And Might have up, up until. Or yeah, that's that seems like it could be up until now. It's been uh, pretty quiet. So uh, we picked the exact <laughs> right time to, uh, to have this excitement. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I, it, it is. Sorry, it's, it's hard for me to imagine like somebody like I had a, a, one of my first shows like in New York. I did a headlining set at uh, Union Hall in Brooklyn uh, about a month ago. And uh, and it was all that Union Hall is all vaccinated. You can't can't come if you're not vaccinated. And so it was hard. I thought about it on stage there. I was like, it's hard for me to imagine somebody who's like, you know, a hardcore anti-vaxxer who's like, but I want to see the Mike Kaplan show. I mean, maybe they're out there. It's it's yeah. possible, uh, but I definitely it aligns more with my my view of uh, of who I am and who who I think is uh, mm-hmm. appreciating my comedy the most. Uh, but, yeah. you know, if you love my comedy and also uh, don't I, I'm sure that everybody who likes my comedy doesn't agree with every uh, every way that I live my life and uh and I, wel- I welcome I welcome you and also encourage you to uh, take care of yourself uh, and the rest of us uh, as healthily and physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually as possible. Yeah. Well, we are actually not talking about uh, comedy or getting vaccinated today. I mean, we'll what? probably talk about it more. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's hard to avoid these days, as one would imagine. But we are talking about Dan Burns. 2001 album new american language and what i will ask was this the first dan Byrne record you heard or uh was it a different album it wasn't uh so i saw him live for the first time sometime it must have been in the mid 90s uh i i worked at a summer camp as a music counselor and uh we went uh, we always took a trip for many summers in a row to the Falcon Ridge Folk Festival. Uh, sort of, uh, I think it was in New York State, like sort of right at the border. I think it was between three states, like New York, maybe Massachusetts, maybe something else up there. And uh, it was just this beautiful, like, out, you know, out in a field. Uh, they just had a couple tents set up. And the year before I went for the first time, my friends went and saw Ani DeFranco for the first time. And I'd never heard mm-hmm. of her until they came back. Uh, a friend, a good friend of mine, bought all of her CDs, uh, or it must have been, it might have even been cassettes at the time. I think a friend of mine like made me a mix cassette of like their favorite Ani songs from her first maybe five albums that had been out at that point. 
uh, and I just sort of fell in love with her. And then I was like, I got to go to this festival. And I started going to the festival and I saw, uh, actually so many wonderful, I think that's where I first saw maybe Vance Gilbert as well, who I would, uh, come to meet last year, uh, as we performed right before the pandemic began, we were on a cruise together. Uh, I don't, not to, but also a, a wonderful folk singer. But so I saw Dan Byrne perform. I saw Moxie Fruvis. I don't know if you know those guys. I really like them. I know them. Vance Gilbert from listening to your podcast, actually. Ah. That was a great episode oh, thank with you. them. Um, so, yeah, it kind of weaves together. Your your podcast, uh, Broccoli and Ice Cream. Oh, um, thank you. Thank so, you for listening. So, yeah, that was, that was a really amazing episode. Um, so I'm glad it kind of weaved oh, to that accidentally. Yeah, know? thank you. Yeah, Vance is uh, a master uh, of of music, performance, uh, songwriting, and humanity. And, uh, yeah, so this festival, it was like a, a magical kind of festival. And so I saw Dan Byrne uh, and just fell in love. And I think maybe he, I think his first album was self-titled. Uh, and he, I think that might have been the only one he had around then. Maybe he had, like, another EP or something. But I, I bought whatever he had. And... Uh, and so, yeah, I think the first, the the songs that I remember right away, not from this album that we're talking about today, uh, were, I think, Jerusalem is probably, it might be like his most popular one on Spotify, uh, and Marilyn, uh, and the, the lyrics, the, the chorus was just like, Marilyn Monroe didn't marry Henry Miller, just sung over and over again. And, uh, and I, it's just, it really spoke I mean spoke to me in a way it it really sang to me it really like it wasn't it was mostly the music like I just it really like clicked into the kind of sounds I like to hear like beautiful harmonies and just kind of very straight ahead I guess you know like folk or folk rock uh but yeah New American Language I think came out a couple years after uh I was already I think 50 Eggs came out in between uh, the first album that I got and this one as well. So I just kept as whenever he put out new ones, I bought them when that was the way to do it or like listened, uh, immediately. He's been like a favorite ever since I saw him, uh, perform. I saw him open for Ani DeFranco in Boston where I was in college and like their buds. And I think maybe she produced some of his, like her record label, I think maybe released some of his and, there's a place in, in Boston, in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, called Club Passim, which is like a, a folk music venue that's been there for decades. Like, I think Bob Dylan and Joan Baez performed at the place. Uh, maybe it was a different name in, like, the 60s or so. And I I actually, like, re- I used to go to their open mic and recorded my first album call, that I called Open Mic Night at yeah. uh, that venue. And I saw him. It's like a nonprofit, so you could volunteer there and usher for the shows and so when dan Byrne was coming through sometime in the early mid 2000s i uh i was like i jumped at the opportunity to like just get to see his show for free and get to like interact with him even in the capacity of uh like just like i i'm working here to help out and do you need anything and like i was in the green room like ask like, and i i gave him like a. Uh, not even, I think, uh, a done, just like, I was like, 
a burnt CD of like some of my songs that I had at the time that I was like, I made this and Mm -hmm. I give it to you because I like you. And he was like, oh, I should give something to you. And he like reaches in his bag and pulls out like a tiny bottle of whiskey that like he got (laughs) on the plane or at his hotel or something. And he's like, here. And I like treasured that bottle of whiskey for I I didn't even drink whiskey at the time and now don't again. But uh, just kept it in my backpack for so long until I went to jury duty one day years later. And as I was putting my bag through the the metal, dete- you know, the whatever, the x-ray machine, and then a woman uh, pulls pulls the bottle out, and she's like, sir, you can't bring this into jury duty. And I'm like, no, it's not for drinking. It's very special Dan Byrne souvenir whiskey. And she's like, sir, I have to throw this out. And I was like, my whiskey, my Dan Byrne whiskey. <laughs> and uh, now uh, I remember that story so much more. <laughs> Uh, then I even care about that whiskey specifically. But uh, anyway, I probably, I got New American Language uh, when it came out and just uh, listened to it a ton while driving. I think that's where I like listened to most of my music at the time. And just, uh, I I love it so much, like from from beginning to end. I mean, some, some of the songs are like my super favorites. And then, but on a most, on my most recent listen, like they all like there's not one that I was like I, I was like I'm gonna listen from beginning to end and you know sometimes uh-huh. you have an album where you're like you skip a song or you're like I don't need to hear that one again like uh, but I was happy to listen all the way through. Yeah, I there's always like an exercise I do when with any of these these episodes where I'm like what song would I cut and uh, now the reoccurring thing is the past few episodes I feel like I haven't been able to cut anything. So this adds to that list of I couldn't think of a song to cut because it just goes down so smooth, which is also very strange because the kind of things that he sings about, and I don't want to kind of, we'll go back to that in a second, but the things he sings about just are pretty peculiar. Um, The way he's able to kind of like say strange things, and I know that you could probably explain that more than me when we get to that point, but it still just goes down so smooth. And, and I catch myself, I'm like, wait, what did he just say? <laughs> like, and that seems to be his thing. Uh, and kind of like going back even further, further, when I asked you to be on this podcast, like some of the albums that you brought were, I guess, like more comedy centric. And it felt like kind of going down the list, it was like less, you know, comedy centric. But I do feel like there is like a wit to this record and uh, what it really easily looks like throughout Dan's career that um, potentially speaks to you as a comedian. But, you know, I, I guess sometimes I struggle. The thing I'm getting to is like, I struggle with the relationship comedy versus music. And it, sometimes I feel like I'm like, never the twain shall meet in my head. Um, you know, so, so I guess I'm taking us almost back before I picked this as, um, and so where do you place it in terms of like comedy versus music? Oh, sure. I mean, first, I don't think that comedy and music need to compete, uh, because, and of course I, you understand that there is comedy music. It's weird. Like I, I also used to, so I started before I was a comedian, I was a musician like I've been I've played instruments my whole life and I was a a singer songwriter and aspiring to do that as my full time uh, career, which led me sort of accidentally organically into comedy. 
but I had funny songs. And then I had a buddy, Micah Sherman, and he and I wrote some funny songs together. And we put out an album of those just for fun after we had we were both doing uh, stand up and he was also doing improv and acting. And uh, and so one of the things that we would say, I think maybe on that album is like, you know, people love music. People love comedy. So like who doesn't love comedy music? Everybody. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like there's a kind of comedy music that like, you know, uh, I mean, sort of the same way that I used to have probably a, a snotty attitude about like karaoke, like because as a like I love playing music, I love singing my songs, I love playing and singing like you know somebody else's songs if I love them. And but at the time, like years ago, like you know probably as like a young twenty something, you know, uh, I was just like karaoke. Why like I'm like I want to I want to do all the fun stuff like and. Now I'm like, oh, karaoke is a different fun thing to do. Like I can enjoy playing the guitar and I can also enjoy playing Guitar Hero. I can enjoy, you know, singing my own song and I can enjoy doing a song at karaoke. Uh, And so I but I think that similarly, the way that I thought about karaoke, uh, I have thought about uh, and other people maybe have thought about certain like if if comedy some comedy music is like people change the words to a song and you have a new you have a song parody you know and not i mean here's the thing is also like weird al is amazing and he does the thing so well that i think the category of what he does people might look at and be like i don't know about that category but like but look at this like look at white and nerdy i like white and nerdy more than i like ride and dirty and and white and nerdy couldn't exist without ride and dirty but yeah. I mean, Weird Al is a master of, uh, I mean, of original songs as well as, but I mean, he's like so famous for and successful at like the creative process of like capturing what somebody else, like, it's such a weird thing that I never even really thought of in this, this kind of conversation before. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of, let's say, quote unquote, bad uh any kind of art, any kind of music, any kind <laughs> yeah. of comedy. And so when when there's something that's different, like very few people are like, uh, you know, like I don't really like, com- like, I mean, there are some people who are like, I don't really like comedy because I saw one bad one once and I assume that that's everything. It rarely happens with music because music has, like people have many more examples of music that if you see a, a musician be bad, you're not like, mm, I don't know if music is for me. But uh, it happens with comedy sometimes and it certainly happens with comedy music. There could be people who are like, you know, see not the greatest example. Uh, which there's many, there's so many people starting out, trying, doing their best. Like we all were those people at times. And, uh, and so the, the thing that I say sometimes is like, I, I started like pursuing like for my life's work, sort of for, you know, the professional creative relationship, pursuing music to be like, music will be who I marry. And then I ended up, oh, I, but I didn't even know comedy. Like, oh, hello, comedy. And I started, you know, dating comedy. And then I'm like, oh, comedy. Comedy is my creative partner. But also, like, you know, in this way, that's an open relationship because comedy and music can interact. They can go together. They needn't. Like, not every, not every musician 
is funny or wants to be funny, and not every comedian is musical or wants to be. Though I do think that, I mean, many comedians, even if they're not explicitly musicians, like the the rhythm and cadence and intonation, like the the delivery is, like there is a musicality to, I'm going to say most comedians work, if not, if not all, like that almost everyone is doing something that like, you know, some people are, a curated symphony orchestra. Some people are more like a jazz improviser. Some people might be doing, you know, atonal comedy. I don't know what that the equivalent would be, but, you know, absurdist kind of stuff. So uh, with respect to this album or with respect to Dan Byrne in general, like he has some songs that are very specific. Like if the if they were if all his songs were like that, then I'd be like, oh, this guy is a a comedy musician because some of his songs are purposefully funny like he has that in his toolbox he is like a funny I've had him on my podcast as well at times and uh he is a funny dude like I'm he's uh the skill of creating you know any kind of art is sometimes transferable or maybe you know sometimes it comes out as comedy sometimes it comes out as poetry sometimes it comes out as music and and so I think that, like, there, there is this overlap, you know, not necessarily like a Venn diagram that you can point to. But, uh, but yeah, he, he really, he knows what he's doing. And there are times, like, I feel like, you know, he's not the same as They Might Be Giants, but I feel like they operate, they do a similar type of thing where, like, they're funny. Some of their songs are meant to be funny. Some of them are just meant to be weird. Some of them are more serious, but there's, like, a sensibility that's maybe quirky throughout. Like I think, I mean, Dan's voice is very specific and like it lent, I mean, it lends itself to doing exactly what he does. And sometimes like his songs like really make me feel and, you know, almost cry. And also like, it's really fun and often even upbeat when talking about like the kinds of things you're like, Oh, that's like this. He has some songs about like serious things serious things but the songs are never like you know dirges you know they're never they're they're almost always uh i guess he has some slow ones as well but uh and that maybe they're not all playful but i'd say he like tends towards playful and the final point Mm -hmm. i'll i'll offer before i stop answering your question (laughs) is uh do you know the movie uh walk hard the dewey cox story yeah, I, yeah, I did see a little uh, information about that. Um, yeah, yeah, about that, him I mean, working with that. Yeah, he. I understand. Like they, they wanted him to create some of the or help create some of the songs for that movie, and like that's. A, I mean, the movie's a com. It's sort of a. It's certainly a comedy, but also I'm sure they wanted his like serious like guitar and you know uh, songwriting skills. Uh, but I feel like he's sort of like the perfect person for that. Like sometimes the thing, sometimes the way to create comedy is to take something very seriously. And so I feel like he has all of those elements. Like he's create, I would say, you know, if I had to pick, is he a comedian? Is he a musician? He's certainly a musician, but he's a real funny one that has all these capacities. Yeah. He, um, brings to mind someone like Jonathan Richman as well. It's just, like uh, he, the singer of Modern Lovers, and then he went on to, he kind of has the same type of thing where it's like, he'll have songs that are about something funny, but you also feel like he's just a quirky person kind of first and foremost. It's like, this is his true self. So it's not 
I believe that yes, he he knows when he's being funny, but it's like he he can't really escape it. Like this is just his honest way of being. Um, to the to the point of like going uh, walk walk working on Walk Hard, uh, I believe he also did music for Father's Day, uh, Zero Effect, and Get Him to the Greek. Um, one of the interesting things about Walk Hard, uh, there's a local musician in Charlotte, North Carolina, named Benji Hughes, and he's also credited. And sort of a local story, it's like a lot of those songs in Walk Hard were written by him. But in doing a little research, like uh, that it was actually, a lot of it was Dan Byrne, uh, not to discredit Benji, but it's it said like 16, like he basically wrote like 16 songs for Walk Hard and, you know, some of them made it through um, and kind of like backing up a little bit uh, when... I went to pick this. I basically went to pick Dan Byrne because I didn't know who he was. And so sometimes that's the experiment on this podcast. It's like learn something new. Um, and then one of my friends like, well, you like you like shit like Bob Dylan. You'll like Dan Byrne. And so he said it to me, clearly they're not a Bob Dylan fan. And I was like, well, you got me. And yes, but, you know, in, in similar ways to Bob Dylan, but it's like while I hear a lot of Bob Dylan and Dan Byrne, it's still dan Byrne, like and that's the crazy thing about it it's like i see where he's borrowing things if we want to use that expression but it's like this is a complete actualized person (laughs) oh yeah i mean also there are very specific i don't know did you have you seen or listened to any of dan's like walking blues that are like i mean directly you know, an homage, I would say, yeah, to the the things that Bob Dylan has done, and, and like Bob Dylan is like I think a character in at least one or maybe some of them, mm-hmm. and like the and those ones are often like the very specifically purposefully funny. Uh, they're they're really they're really great. Like in in preparing for this talk, I like you know looked up the lyrics to all these songs, and I saw like on I think it's on Dan's website. Like if you can just search by like letter, you know, uh, what, uh, oh, wow. what so- all his songs and like, he's got so many songs. Like, I don't even know how many yeah. albums he has at this point. He's he just put out like one a year, it feels like. And I think one said he has over a thousand published songs. Um, so he's like very prolific. Um, oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. But yeah, so he, yeah, certainly I could understand why, I mean, his voice and Bob Dylan's voice are not the same voice, but he, if he wants to sound like Dylan, he can. And if he wants, you know, it, it seems like he knows who he is and uh, and he does what he wants to do. And oh, this sort of reminds me a quick thing to what one of the things you said earlier about not being able to sort of control the the quirkiness or like the person that you are, which, you know, we all we we all have something like that. There's a, a specific thing from a, a Mark Marin WTF podcast. Uh, that he had with uh, Harry Shearer, I believe, you know, from The Simpsons. And yeah, I never get I never know if I'm getting the quote exactly right. But it's something like he says, people get into comedy to control why people laugh at them. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good episode with Harry Shearer. I yeah. Listen to that one. Um, yeah. That was an interesting chat. I guess my mind is starting to go to the fact that he uh, like lives in New Orleans, but, uh, you know, still does The Simpsons. And oh. I think like. The it's one of the things was kind of like it felt like it's like I'm moving to New Orleans, whether or not if you want me to continue to be on The Simpsons is up to you all. And then they were like, you can record in New Orleans. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but uh, but yeah, like I think that's that's an interesting 
thing with with Dan Burner, kind of I guess like getting into comedy in general, or really getting into any entertainment. I feel like you are trying to control the narrative of how people view you, in a way. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you. We are. We are. If if you're performing, then you are a performer. You are presenting. You know, mm-hmm. some either your as maybe not your entire self to everyone, but some chunk, some uh, some viewpoint, some perspective, some filtered aspects of yourself uh, that are potentially curated in some way. And ultimately, you know, we don't, uh, I'd say, if you had to say, do we have control or do we not have control? I would say we mostly don't have control over almost anything, but it at least seems like we have some control over some of the yeah. things. So, uh, yeah the end yeah and i think uh, and correct me if i'm wrong you were kind of, well you were kind of mentioning the lyrics on it but one of one of the times in the album uh really started grabbing me to who this person is um uh, with god said no and it feels like the situations that he kind of paints get more and more ridiculous as to what he's going to do like if he could go back in time and change something and it just gets more and more outlandish and there's a point where i'm like where it's like you don't I don't I felt like when listening to it I didn't necessarily realize that it was not I don't want to say sarcastic um like being witty is we'll just use that uh, but it it gets more and more ridiculous to the point where it's talking about going back and killing Hitler and it's you know it's um yeah it starts being like oh that's yes he's cl- this is clearly like setting up like a thought exercise there yeah. oh yeah like that's I I think we've talked about this that I uh, like if I had to choose between like, you know, the most beautiful music and like fine lyrics or whatever, uh, or the most beautiful lyrics and fine music or whatever, I would much rather when I'm listening to music, beautiful music uh, with, uh, uh, cause I often, when I listen to songs, uh, I don't even catch the lyrics. Like, you know, I, they sort of, they're kind of just like painting, you know, they're like, Oh, I, I kind mm-hmm. of get the, like I've memorized whole songs that I don't know what they mean until like I sit down and think about it later. Cause like the, the, the words are kind of just like additional notes, you know, they're just yeah. new, um, like ornaments. Like, I mean, you know, they're, uh, of course like, I've had, especially with like Ani DeFranco, like I'm like, wow, I love her guitar playing is phenomenal and like her melodies and harmonies are beautiful. And like it was I'd loved her for years before I even like listened to like the story of a song. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is also very powerful and meaningful. And I was like, this, has this been here the whole time? And I know like some people <laughs> are like lyrics first and some people yeah. are like more music and some people perhaps somewhere in between. But for God said so for God said no. I mean, like, I guess for Dan Byrne in general and for this album in particular, like the music just sound the music is so beautiful it just like it's like a warm bath it's just like it's sort of like it's just like is it so smooth and just sort of like washes over me and into me and god said no is like one of the only songs that like from the get-go i was like oh like i mean i couldn't help but listen to it and what it was about like it i don't know how like it was sort of like a magical conjuring of being like these words you know you will listen to and you'll understand and i mean it's maybe some of his lyrics like veer poetic you know like not every song can you say like this is definitely what it's about 
But Mm -hmm. this is one where at least on one level, like maybe there are different layers, like you're saying, but on one level you can be like, what happens in this song? Oh, Dan or the narrator meets God and asks if he can go back in time to, in the first verse, save Kurt Cobain in the second verse, uh, kill Hitler in the third verse, save Jesus. Sorry to spoil (laughs) some of it, but I feel like you can still enjoy the bulk of the song. And I mean, the song, the lyrics, I mean, the song is God Said No. Uh, that's what it's called. And so that's, I feel like the title of it spoils ultimately the way every verse ends. But uh, at the end of the song, uh, one, one of the lyrics is, oh, now was all I had. Like, and it's just like, yeah, that's that's right. That's correct. Um, but yeah, that, that song, I'm a, that one and Albuquerque Lullaby, like, mm-hmm. really are, uh, as well as New American Language, like, the title track, uh, yeah. are the ones that leap out to me and that I, like, listen to the most. Like, the the just the chorus of Albuquerque Lullaby is, like, don't let your heart get broken by this world. You know, at the bottom of the ocean, you might find a pearl. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, it's just, like, I could I could listen to that over and over again, musically and lyrically, like obviously like in, at, in the best, uh, in any of the best musicians are, if you're a songwriter, like the marriage of the music and the lyrics are like, you know, like, which do you like more? And I'm like, it's they're they're kind of one and the same. Yeah. I like that feeling of kind of like picking up things later on, like, because in my head too, like, I feel like it, it's the voice is almost just like another guitar. You know, it's like and it, everything fits so well together. Like even with Bob Dylan, sometimes I'm like, oh, today we're doing Bob Dylan. Like it's like he is first and foremost, you're almost having to pay attention. But with Dan Byrne, like I feel like it, it sits in there more and I feel like I can kind of let it wash over me some. Um, but, you know, like but it kind of pulls you out at little things like even in New American language where it's like uh, I don't want to get the lyric wrong, but it's something to the effect of. I said I love everyone, and then it's, that's the same as loving no one. Yeah, know? he's having a conversation with someone, and uh, and they're talking about love, and he said, yeah, he says maybe I love everyone, and she says that's the same as loving no one, and yeah. he he says okay, I guess whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but that also um, that line kind of makes me think about um, it. It almost. And I don't think this is what he means, and he could, and that's why it's like a great song. It almost makes me think of like when people say like "All Lives Matter" or something. Mm. You know, there's just like a thing where people are like, "Well, I mean, I I love everybody," but then it's like you're not saying anything. You know? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that yes, I agree with you and the sentiment and the point that you're making, and also like it is like uh there are things that are true on different levels and in different conversations. Like if there is a child drowning and somebody's like, we have to save that child. And they're like, well, shouldn't we try to save everybody? Yeah. But that child's drowning (laughs) right now. So that's why I'm talking about that child right now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And even with that song, uh, that, that also seems to be kind of the conversation the narrator and the person are having it's just sort of like you almost blow off the whole conversation by being like well i guess i love everybody and then the next line being like or whatever you know it's like you don't you don't truthfully care 
you're just kind of like pushing it along. Yeah. Yeah. I would say also, I do think that there is a way to love everybody that is not the same as loving nobody. And it depends, of course, on the actions that you take and what it means to you to love people. And when you love people, what do you do uh, to demonstrate that love or, you know, what what do what do words mean? Uh, yeah, I think intent was a good way to, uh, that you mentioned it because it's if your intent or your actions kind of show that you are. <laughs> but, you know, if it's like if you meet somebody that doesn't really seem to like anybody, but they're like, you know, I love everybody. And you're like, oh, yeah. But, you know, you love no one. Tone's <laughs> important. You know, there's a kind of a joke idea that I've been working on. Uh, it's more more of ingredients to a joke than something that I've been doing. But like the concept of like thoughts and prayers, like I do like yeah. thoughts and uh, under certain circumstances, like prayers, like if a, if, you know, if my, my, when my grandmother died last year, like there were people who, you know, like said things like may her memory be a blessing, you know, like there's, there's nothing that anyone can do to bring, you know, to bring her back from the dead. Mm-hmm. That's not what uh, we're striving for. And so when people are like, I've been thinking about you or people are like, oh, I'm praying for your family. Like that's, it's meaningful for somebody to express those things, like regardless of, you know, my uh, belief system or what have you. Like, I think that prayers can be valuable, mm-hmm. but here's the, here's the joke part. The analogy is like, sometimes for a comedian, if somebody's like, hey, is that like, is that person a funny comedian? And they're like, they're a real nice guy. Like that tells you something, but without that question saying, oh, that, that person's a real nice guy. That's a nice thing to say in one context. But if the question is, are they a funny comedian? Then he's a real nice guy uh, is not necessarily the nicest. You wouldn't say that to that person. Do you think I'm funny? I think you're a real nice guy. And thoughts and prayers are valuable and meaningful. But if the question was, hey, Congress, are you going to take action to help so that there are fewer mass shootings? And they're like, I'm going to offer thoughts and prayers when, you know, meaningful legislation would be uh, the desired result. Like, then that's where thoughts and prayers, uh, thoughts and prayers and actions uh, would be perhaps better. Yeah, because it, so like comedy or even music it's it's like the equivalent of like great set sometimes or like when someone asks like sometimes someone will ask me about a band and especially if they're friends i'll say um i'll say they're good at what they do mm. and we it almost became a running bit like on tour like you know uh we would say like oh they're good at what they do and then we knew that it was sort of condescending um, but then it, it kind of morphed into a way it's like, you kind of, you could say it. Yeah. So to what you're saying, it's like you say it and then to anyone else, it's like they could take it one of two ways, but it doesn't ultimately mean anything. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny to think about, uh, what, let me try to think <laughs> here, here it is. It's like, you know, the Beatles, they were really good at what they did. It's like, Oh, do you, what are you saying? Like, you, I mean, it's literally true, but also mm-hmm. it could mean that you don't like the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. A quick thing about uh, New American Language, the song, uh, while we're sort of on the topic, 
is uh, and something that I noticed in looking at the lyrics of all the songs, almost mm-hmm. all of them, I think all but one, uh, directly or at least indirectly, talk about music in the song. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. in uh, in New American Language, there's a lyric. He talks about a dream of a new pop music that tells the truth with a good beat and some nice harmonies. And that's, I mean, that sort of represents that song and the whole album, like the truth with a good beat and some nice harmonies. Like, I mean, there's more to it than that, but uh, I mean, and as you're listening to it, you're, it's sort of like, you know, like a word that, that sort of exemplifies its own definition, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, it's manif- it's bringing itself into existence. Like he's singing uh, a kind of new, p- a kind of pop music that tells the truth with a good beat and some nice harmonies. And those are the very lyrics that he's saying uh, compared to the previous song. So that's the second song on it. The first one is uh, sweetness. Mm-hmm. And in that one, he's asking where has the sweetness gone and where is the loving song and as I'm listening to it, I'm kind of like, it's here. Isn't this it? You know, like yeah. this is this is a sweet, loving song. Um, yeah, it's like sometimes I, here's I think Dan Byrne definitely threads the needle. But sometimes my some of my issues with uh, musicians that inject humor a lot is I feel like sometimes they want to say something, but it's almost too close to how they feel so they'll guard it by being funny and then i'm like well the intent of what you're saying you're kind of backing off of it um and it's like he i feel like dan Byrne kind of uses that uses that notion to uh to great effect actually though because it's it's like he's trying to back off but he knows he's doing it so he's like calling himself out on it because It'd be like writing a good song and then you're like, you kind of make fun of yourself for doing it in, in a way. Like, I feel, I feel like there's kind of that device, but it, it feels like it's like, feels like oh, yeah. it's like a painting or something where it's like, you know, the tools, so you're going to go against it. Yeah. I've got, uh, I think an analogy to comedy, uh, like I'll, yeah. I'll talk about myself as well as a friend. Uh, Josh Gondelman is a very funny comedian, uh, yeah. very funny on Twitter, uh, and also on stage and all the things that he writes that he is intending to be funny. Uh, And I feel like he is a master of, like, figuring out different ways to say a silly thing that if he said it just straight, like, it might not be as powerful and resonant as if, like, the way that I do it, the way I do the thing that that I'm referring to with him, like, I don't have any examples of his in mind, but sometimes I think of just, like, you know, a silly wordplay, and I'll, on Twitter or Facebook, I'll, like, uh, sort of, parenthetical like disclaim it you know in advance and afterwards was like cute joke alert like like look at just don't don't think that this one's gonna be anything you know of great substance like it's just a cute little thing that I figured out and so I I like doing that when because imagine if I just thought of a cute little thing but then I was like ahem ahem attention everyone uh very very important discovery made uh I realized that Peter Rabbit uh is a man bun he's a he's a male a male (laughs) rabbit which could be you could abbreviate bunny as bun and so and a man bun's a different thing so uh hear ye hear ye you know drop everything you're doing like 
sort of in a way like that joke does what it does it you know it knows what it's doing and it's doing a very specific thing and i'm not claiming it's like the greatest joke i've ever written or thought that I, but i was like oh that's a fun little thing and so it seems appropriate to be like here's a fun little thing whereas like i do agree like you've expressed like sometimes i mean in art and also in humanity like there are people who don't want to say the don't want to tell the whole truth about their experience if they don't want to be vulnerable if they don't want to open up if they're sort of afraid to just like say the true sincere thing like there's you know there's a a tendency in some people at some times and maybe all of us at times to you know uh be that sort of it's vulnerable to be vulnerable is sometimes uh, a thing that makes us afraid because we're like what if what if i show you who i am or say what i truly believe or present this and what if you what if somebody doesn't like it which means they don't like me so i just i'll present this you know this humorous facade or whatever it is and uh so i guess what i'm saying is hear ye hear ye everyone i i stand very proudly behind my peter rabbit man bun joke um (laughs) And I do a bit there. But yeah, I think Dan, I mean, yeah, he does, he does all, like, he really, I mean, I, he does everything that he's doing purposefully, I'm sure. Like, by the time he's recording an album, like, you know, I don't know what process he goes through to create the lyrics and the music, but it, you know, he knows what he's doing. And even in the songs where I don't necessarily understand what all, what the whole, uh, song might be about if the whole song is about something. There's like these snippets, like in Alaska Highway. Uh, the there's a part where uh, he says Eminem saying, "Please put me in your highway song," and like there's also like Billy Joel like references later, and then and it's just sort of there's so many different like vignettes and sort of it's like a pastiche if I'm using that word incorrectly uh, or like a montage, a medley of ideas. Uh, Like there's this other, another, these two lyrics that I think are just like so right on. One is uh, I would never be so dumb to say they stole an election. They bought the damn thing fair and square. The emperor's in his underwear. I'm like, Oh, like that's, it sort of has the, the structure of a joke, like a setup and a punchline. And and then the next, I think might even be the next line or very soon thereafter, he says, Commandment 3 says, do not kill. Amendment 2 says, blood will spill. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah the, what, a, what a beautiful juxtaposition that, I mean, it just says, it says the thing that he wants to say. Yeah, like one thing, I guess like going back to kind of think about like in the same way with comedy like, when I think about, like, if I told somebody a Rodney Dangerfield joke, um, sometimes it's, like, people will be like, that's not funny. Why are you telling me that? But it's in the delivery. So in the same thing as, like, there's a certain aspect, not really with Dan Byrne, but someone could say so. Like, if you read a lyric dry, mm. you know, mm-hmm. you could go, okay. And you just kind of throw it away. Like, you know, but it's, like, couched in the emotion that the music is all, also pulling it up you feel the delivery either almost makes me go right past it. Like, it's like, I didn't focus on the fact that he referenced Eminem in a song, you know, like it just made it right. Like, okay, you know, I'm buying this, you know? So like going back to comedy and comparing the two, it's like, 
it's about the delivery for Randy Dangerfield. And it's like he knew he knew he was telling essentially a bad joke, but it's how he says it. In the same way, like George Wallace does the same thing. Like it's like these are undeniably bad jokes, but (laughs) it's George Wallace and how he delivers it is the best joke. Yeah, I I will only gently push back and say that, I mean, they are deniably bad jokes Uh, (laughs) in that because they they there is no objective reality to whether a joke is you know good or bad due to the you know the subjectivity like and sort of in the hands of a master uh you know a master craftsperson an artist you know who knows what they're doing and wants to do what they're doing like you know like even let's say go to Andy Kaufman you know who mm-hmm. part of what he did sometimes was like purposefully seemed to make some people not enjoy what he was doing, sometimes all the people at a time. And then either the joke was other people were in on it with him and or eventually I'd say like in the universally best case scenario is where like throughout a show he would be, you know, coming up and be like seeming like his, you know, the character Latka, like wanting to get on stage and not being good at it. And the own, the owner of the club being like, get out of here. Like, no, no, we'll put you on later. And then he comes up and does his thing. And people have the whole story that has been the setup. They think that's not part of the show. And then he does, he concludes with like a perfect Elvis impersonation, which then reframes everything that if you zoom in on any part of it, be like, yeah, yeah, that's not, is that part a good joke? Is the setup a good joke? But that the whole, con- like you're saying with the music, that the context, the emotional context of the lyric uh, is a part of like how to take in the lyric. And so like with, I don't know why I'm being extra protective of George Wallace. Cause I'm like, I've never seen him tell a bad joke. Like every joke that he tells is like so purposeful that yeah. I'm like, it is, he's making a perfect George Wallace joke Every time he tweets something, every time he says something like, and I mean, it just, it's so joyful. Like it, it makes me feel so good. Uh, and I, I know that you're also not saying that you don't like them, uh, yeah. that, but yeah, it's, uh, I feel like another good example, it's sort of also about the intent, like that we were talking mm-hmm. about before, like with Sarah Silverman is, I think a great example for like her older work when she was like more specifically like doing a character, being a character and if you looked at her jokes on paper, you'd be like, well, is an alt-right comedian saying these things? Because then I don't think I like them. But if you're like, oh, a satirist is saying these things, then I definitely do like it. Like, it's so important to know, you know, our, you know, and it's not to say that we always have an excuse if we're just like, I put quotes around it. Like, you know, sometimes even like pretending to be racist might be racist or, you yeah. know pretending to be a jerk you know like let, let's just take out take race out of it uh for a moment like i feel like there's people who might be like fake ag- aggressively you know like you know kind of uh mean just mean let's say like fake mean mm-hmm. and somebody's like oh i kind of don't like it when when you do that and like i'm just kidding but it's like but it still made me feel like i'm like i can know that you're kidding and also still not like being like the equivalent of like somebody like you know manhandling, you just sort of like pushing you around and being like, "Come mm-hmm. on, it's just joking. We're having a good time." It's like we're not having a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always felt like, like even if you're not putting, like sometimes people will put it like 
and like, oh, you can't say certain things today. But I always felt like it was like, like just the idea of like punching down is like just super low hanging fruit. Like even in like Dan Byrne, like any of the people he mentions, it doesn't feel like punching down. It feels like earnest in a way to like paint the picture. But, you know, always like people kind of say the punching down thing a lot. And I think that's where you get into like Sarah Silverman versus I don't even know the example or even if I want to give it on the inverse. Sure. Uh, you know, so I guess we'll say bullies versus satirist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a different structure going on that I think sometimes the bully doesn't understand. And I agree. And I'll offer this as an example of uh, the, to, I, to the concept of like you can't say certain things. Like, first of all, like George Carlin and Lenny Bruce went to jail because of the things that they said that was literal government censorship like they're like yeah. if you say those things you go to jail and that's not cool not right not legal and other than that if a comedian saying like it's like we can't say anything what they're the ellipsis leading is leading to without consequences and there's a uh you know that's that's how uh speech works you know you can say a thing yeah. and other people can say a thing Kamau Bell, do you know W. Kamau Bell? Yeah. Uh, fantastic comedian. He has a, a bit from a long time ago. Uh, it must be on a special that I don't know which one it is, but uh, I saw him do it live, and I'm just like, what a beautiful point. That So he's he's a black man, and yeah. he, he has a joke about his white friends or a white friend asking him, like, when is it okay for us to use the N-word? And he says, whenever you're ready to deal with the consequences of saying the n-word and they're like yeah. oh so i shouldn't say it he's like no you can say it is any does anybody want to say it and now you know. <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that's i mean it's so poignant and beautiful and it makes complete sense with respect to like and i'm not saying that every person who responds to everything that every comedian says like like I would agree, like I don't agree with everything that everyone says because sometimes people say conflicting things, but I do think that I do disagree with the idea that you quote unquote can't say certain things, just that there are certain things that when you say them, there might be reasonable responses to them that aren't what you would wish for. Yeah. There's some things that, um, I guess just to give like a uh, a specific comedian, like I never see, or maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but I don't see people come out against like like Anthony Jeselnik, like. But it's it's the intent is kind of like what I feel like. There's like a way that he's able to frame a joke that it oh, makes yeah. it. It's like impossible. I don't want to say it's bulletproof, but it's like you know the intent there. Like I'm and now I'm explaining why a joke is funny. Well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think but he's a, he, a wonderful example of, I mean, he, like Sarah Silverman is like, or at least Sarah Silverman in the past, like he is like talking about, you know, let's say for lack of a better term, dark topics, you know, and if, yeah. if you, you know, if you're a, a particular like practicing person of a certain really like my mom doesn't want to hear like swearing when she sees comedy and it doesn't mean yeah. that swearing is bad but that's she doesn't love swearing so she won't go to see doug i wouldn't recommend her to see doug stanhope and mm -hmm. i would recommend her to see like brian regan you know and yeah. but here's the thing it's really funny that i think she did she was like should i see anthony jeselnik and 
I or maybe she didn't even ask me. She just told me I she went she went and she saw him and she really enjoyed it. And it's I think it in part because like, I mean, he's not swearing necessarily. And she can judge like that. Like he's he's creating like little scenes like, you know, she loves my mom loves like uh, legal thrillers, like legal TV shows or movies. And she reads a lot of mysteries, like in mysteries where like people get murdered. There's like, you know, there's violence done. There are villains doing things, but she's not mad at the author because she's like, why are you making me think about this murder? You know, she's like, she wants to in this controlled experiment, like, you know, with, with psychedelics, sometimes it's about like set and setting, you know, like you want to have the right mindset and be in the right setting to have this experience. And if you understand what the context is, you're like, Oh, I'm going to read a murder mystery. There's going to be a murder. Oh, I'm going to go to an Anthony Jeselnik show. There's going to be a murder joke. Like you, it's completely about the expectation and the intent and the fact that he is, you know, a kind human being telling jokes uh, like he's not trying to trick people into coming to see his show who wouldn't want to see his show. Uh, He's, he's like, I had these, you know, uh, thoughts about topics that a lot of people might think are uh, stigmatized or taboo. And I figured out fun ways to offer these, you know, uh, like these little mat, these joke tricks, these little magic. I don't mean to make it sound like belittling, but like he's creating these, like you know, these scenes, these worlds. I'll say these little magical worlds of each joke, where you get to inhabit them for a moment and know that the author isn't the villainous character in the joke. Yeah, it's funny to think about like the things that. Like, I guess your mom specifically. And it, it, my, I think my father-in-law is kind of like the same way where, like, I feel like I could be watching one action movie. And let's say it's like, I don't know, like a Jack Ryan Patriot Games or something. And people don't really, like, swear in those movies. But if I were to watch a similar action movie but there's, you know, dirty words, he wants me to turn it off. But I'm like, the same or more violence is happening here, you know? But it is funny that it's like swearing would be the, the thing. If Anthony Jeselnik, and I never really thought about Anthony Jeselnik as a clean comic, but he, I don't, I can't think of an instance of him like swearing on stage. And you know, I wouldn't, which is so funny. Yeah, I wouldn't swear <laughs> to the fact that he doesn't swear. In fact, yeah. I'm, I imagine he might, I also can't think of a specific instance, but it's certainly. I would say for the most part, he is language wise clean in my memory of his jokes. Yeah, <laughs> which is so it's so funny. That's kind of like the where we get it hang up. And it's like if I you know have to kind of bring it back to Dan Byrne, it's just it, it feels like the point of all that tangent was like it's so important to know that that threading that needle is just that's the art in it you know like there's certain things that i think he says in his lyrics and not like a way that i find it offensive but it's like i could never make that work i can never make the line i could never tell a conversation about like killing hitler in one of my songs (laughs) that would people be like what the fuck are you doing you know but Mm -hmm. it's like somehow it's like it's like he believes in it enough or makes you believe in it enough that it's just a conversation that someone's having oh yeah you know and uh if I may, while on the subject of just lyrics, uh, mm-hmm. just here's a couple just I think that are real like 
poetry uh, that I always, you know, have heard numerous times, but until I like sat and listened and looked at them, I'm like, oh, wow. Like in the song Turning Over, uh, there's, he says, that big odometer in the sky just turned over. It's just such an, yeah. I love like, you know, sort of a, a confluence of, you know, sort of concepts that I never thought about an odometer in the sky. And now I, now he has made me. And uh, it, yeah, it feels like what painted in my head with that was like, like a one panel newspaper comic. Mm-hmm. And there's a big odometer in the sky. And then it, it's just actively doing that in the picture. Like that's what it painted. It just seemed like a New York times kind of thing. Um, you know, so it's able to like paint like a funny picture to me. Oh yeah. Uh, also late, later in that song, I mean, in the, uh, in the chorus, he says, I can't find me one new leaf worth turning over, which is just, you know, the phrase to turn over a new leaf is common, but this, Mm -hmm. he has like turned over, this phrase in a way that I'm like, Oh, like I didn't even hear what he was saying. And I'm like, I kind of don't even necessarily, I mean, I have a sense of what it means, but it's also in uh, Albuquerque lullaby. Uh, when it, when he says, you know, don't let your heart be broken by this world. He says at a point, he says, there's always some new place to turn. And I'm like, it's so fascinating that, you know, just two songs later, he's like, there's always some new place to turn. But two songs ago, he's like, I can't find me one new leaf worth turning over. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you'll be able to because there is uh, yeah. some new place to turn. Yeah, it feels almost like a callback in a way. Like it's like a callback to like, I'll use this in a different way to almost like reflect that I'm not kind of looking at my like it's no it's almost noting that you're not like self-aware enough to know that you could oh yeah uh so yeah i'm not self-aware but i'm going to point out that i knew that i wasn't self-aware and this point that i couldn't you know so yeah to kind of look at something and i don't even know if that's like a i we could be reading into it he may have never put that together and then eventually someone's like when you said this you're like oh i did say that Mm -hmm. you know kind of thing when people bring up like did you mean this you know but it feels and like you meant to do it do you want to hear oh yeah do you want to hear a a funny comedian a comedian musician's joke a friend named rob paravonian Mm -hmm. uh who is i think an excellent musician and comedian and this is like one of the one of the funniest things i mean the, the, the way that i like saying things is like there's nothing funnier than this thing like every, anything else could be equally funny in its own way but like this gives me like endless pleasure to think about like i watched the show friends uh from mm-hmm. beginning to end uh with my girlfriend uh a couple years ago she had never seen it i i loved it when it was on and yeah. now i love it nostalgically in a way um but uh rob paravonian has this joke about i so i believe that the the theme song written by the Rembrandts was originally only written as the 32nd theme song. Right. Uh, so yeah. no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's DOA. And then the song was such a, people liked it so much that they're like, let's, they extended it into like a song that got to be a radio hit. And there is a, a lyric later on. Uh, and so Rob presents this, he's like in like the second verse or the third verse, it says, uh, your mother warned you there'd be days like these, but the something, something, something will bring you to your knees. And he's like, your mother warned you there'd be days like these, but, but I thought you said earlier, no one told you life was going to be like 
be this way. Uh, and it was just such a, it seems to me that they did not do that on purpose. Uh, and it's a humorous, uh, like, yeah. like it's, it's the exact opposite thing later, but not because there was growth and the situation changed. It's like your mother told you there'd be days. Like I thought no one told you life was going to be this way. Like, Oh yeah. Except for your mother. Uh, yeah. I always like the idea of like in a song where it's like, you know, it's like verse kind of paints a picture, you know, the chorus almost tells you like everything that it's about. And then the verse, second verse might dig in a little deeper. And then if there's a bridge or a third verse, it's like everything you thought was not true. Like I, I, I like that kind of way of like songwriting. We're like, well, you thought it was this way, but it's really this, you know, is, is kind of like how that kind of feels or, you know, once again, I don't know if they did it on purpose. They were like, we have to finish the song. So here's something that popped in my oh, head. Yeah. You know, it, it is nice to think about the idea of, uh, there's a, an improv theater in New York that backstage, they had a sign that said, uh, for, you know, for their improvisers to go out on stage, like assume that everything's on purpose and everyone's a genius, you know, in case, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't seem like that. Just like, well, you work with what you have, assume everything's on purpose and everyone's a genius. And so it's nice for me. It's, it is nice to be like, well, is it possible they intended this? Absolutely. It could be that, uh, that they are a genius and everything was on purpose. And also, uh, just in case it wasn't, I think my friend Rob's joke is also a very funny pointing out of what if it wasn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess like even like thinking more about like the, the character, <laughs> I keep calling him a character. He is a real person, Dan Byrne. The human. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just like kind of going back to thinking about like Sarah Silverman too. It's like the fact that like his, band around this time frame was uh, you know dan Byrne and the international jewish banking conspiracy and it's like in 2021 standards it's like i feel like there's so much more weight to that that uh you know 2001 didn't but it's like there's there's there is like a certain way that certain people can say things here's my own kind of call back to like what is i don't want to say appropriate because uh it's just strange that it's like I feel like this is like who this person is. Um, oh yeah, I'm clumsily explaining what I'm trying to explain. I I yeah. hear you. I accept. I I think I see what you're saying. And also, <laughs> I will add uh, this information for people who don't know that Dan Byrne is a Jewish fellow yes. whose full last name, I believe, given is Bernstein or Bernstein. Yeah, it is. Uh, and so certainly like Lithuanian yeah, uh, Jewish descent. Yeah, that is so. And uh, here's a, just another quick, uh, I realize sort of another punchline like, another sort of setup punch mm -hmm. lyric set of his uh, in the song Tape. Uh, he says, uh, hush little baby, don't you cry. Mama's gonna buy you a 45. And if that 45 gets recalled, mama's gonna buy you an assault rifle. And if that assault rifle doesn't fire, uh, or if that rifle doesn't fire, mama's gonna buy you a tightrope wire to the sun. And I just love that last part. <laughs> yeah, it's a like a feeling of like, where do you go from there? You know? Yeah. And so it's like, just go. Um, yeah, it kind of reminded me of something I was thinking of. Just, well, like when you play, I don't know if you did this as a kid. I, I know that you played paper, rock, scissors, but I don't know if anyone ever did. Um, you know, they would go rock, paper, scissors, and then someone would go like 
atom bomb. Did you ever have that? Oh, yeah, that would happen sometimes for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. so it's like, I can't win against this. Or I remember someone being like, God, <laughs> you know, as a kid, and they're like, I don't. <laughs> oh, then. <laughs> you like, I oh, don't. Where do we go? <laughs> I've, I've got something for you. I think. I think this might be a new joke. So uh, here I'm gonna I'm gonna do the setup again for you, just as you presented, and add. Uh, okay, so rock paper scissor. Somebody does atom bomb. How do you beat that? Uh, somebody does God. How do you beat that? You know how you beat God is a rock that God can't lift. Paper scissors. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also think somehow I thought you were gonna go to the end. It's like how do you beat that? Thoughts and prayers. Ha <laughs> I like that too. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. It's like clearly with his songwriting, it's just like you were saying, like I even wrote sardonic literary lyrics, but uh, the thing that I was thinking of is I had a, uh, I was helping write for like a kind of local magazine and what the publisher was like, or the editor, I should say, was like, uh, stay away from cliches. Mm. And then I always thought that that was funny because it's like we all just talk in cliches. There's only certain ways of doing it. But I think what's interesting about using cliches in your writing, like on purpose, it's like if you can kind of use a phrase that everyone thinks about every day, but turn it on its head, that's always just like, that's the point in it all. Oh, yeah. Like finding something new in the familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I love thinking about, like, I'm just going to open up, if I can, uh, a uh, a file that I have of, like, things that I, I, you know, think about tweeting, you know, like, oh, yeah, so here's one, like, nothing new under the sun? Well, how about is there anything new over the sun? Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. and in fact, here's a, a new thing to me right now is I didn't even think about this, like, nothing new under the sun. How about something new over the sun? Now, something new over the sun is something new under the sun. Yeah. Um, and, like, there's, you know, it's not that that's, again, like, any, uh, like, there's no specific universal truth that I'm pointing at by saying that. But in the context of, like, are there, are there cliche, like, do we have to talk in cliches? Well, you can't, you can and you can also do it knowingly. You can do it winkingly. Like, I think there's some comedians who, like, I think Gary Goleman is a master of, like, mm-hmm. finding, like, things from, like, the zeitgeist, you know? Things that people are saying and and then turning them slightly and then present, you know, creating a brand new, you know, joke scene world uh, that references the fact that we all know that so many people say this thing that he is now saying something new about. Like, so it's both, yeah, true that you can't, like, you know, we, it's difficult to create something wholly new because we're all working with the same, you know, language potentially. You can make up new words, but mostly we're using words that already exist. But you can put them in new combinations. You can have new meanings for them. And, but also... It's also always possible to create, like, by curating differently the the ingredients that we have. Yeah, I think what's interesting, uh, like, going back to Gary Goldman, just, like, the way you kind of feel, like, the way he builds it, 
I the point I'm making is like when you think of like how you structure like a stand-up special, and um, and I don't know why I'm forgetting her name, but is it the uh, special where essentially she did it in front of her parents. Oh um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, what is her name? Why Maria Bamford. Yes. Sorry. Um, so yeah, we're Maria Bamford. It was just like a special in front of her parents, and then even when I recently watched Bo Burnham. And it feel like it takes me a little bit to go toward Bo Burnham because I do that thing where it's like I get in my head and I just think that somebody's telling me to, you know, just watch like a comedian hold a guitar or something. And but but it's like you can break the mold and sometimes it's because it's not that you know it's that newest Bo Burnham special was like something to the likes that we haven't seen, you know. And so to kind of be able to do that and even think about like Kristen Shaw's special where like there's a horse in the audience and the little girl comes up and starts telling jokes better. I guess the concept is like better than her. It's like there is a way to take a thing that you identify as one thing and just turn it. There still is, you know, to this day. It seems, it seems that there always is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Here's kind of a, I think I'll, I'll make it related but another a lyric from the song, uh, whether it's Toledo or Toledo, um, yeah. He says, "And maybe all the promises you thought were broken were never really made." Like that, the idea of like reframing what we thought of as a broken promise, which could be upsetting, as a promise that was never really made, which means like, oh, like nobody lied to me, nobody promise something and then didn't deliver it like it's which is so much of maybe what leads us to ang- you know maybe not ang- maybe anxiety maybe depression maybe discomfort maybe suffering in a way the idea that like the the thoughts we have the expectations we have like from from our life from society from our family from our friends from our relationships from from strangers from like the idea that people should be doing something or the world should be doing something or that anything should be a way that we feel like, you know, it, we have these ideas, uh, these expectations, but like maybe all the promises you thought were broken were never really made. And that doesn't mean that everything's great, but it does mean that at least that one thing, like that additional, like if we're like, Hey, it was supposed to be like this. Well, who said it was supposed to be like that? You know? Yeah. I feel like sometimes in my day-to-day life, it's like people constantly let me down on things that they had no way of knowing that I Mm -hmm. was thinking that they should do. You know, it's like you expect something and it's, but you, you can't almost help but do it. Or, you know, I'm talking about myself here. You know, I'm not, I assume this is a human experience, but it's like you created some scenario in like chess and it's like, well, you didn't make that move, but that person was never going to make that move. And you just expected that out of them. You and know? if I may, I'll offer from my own experience something with respect to this. Uh, my girlfriend, Rini, has been very helpful to me in like sort of things that she's learned that when we when we want something from someone else, it might often be that we can provide the very thing that we want, whether it's love or to reach out like in my in my situation that i'll share my parents got divorced when i was about 13 14 and my my father remarried uh shortly thereafter and i met uh my stepmother his wife 
and we didn't ever become very close. Uh, I was, you know, I was a teenager. I, uh, you know, I was close to some other people in my new step family or like friendlier with warmer with like they seemed warmer to me at the time. And, but now I'm, you know, 42 years old and, uh, a couple years ago I was talking with Rini about this and I was like, I, like, I mean, I love my dad and she loves my dad and I know that. And I, I've known that she's a kind person, but she and I never really, you know, we didn't hang out one-on-one. We never had a real like conversation, just the two of us separate from like the family being around. And I was like, I, I kind of, I was like, I kind of wish, and Rini's like, what, what do you wish? I'm like, I guess, you know, like when I was a kid, it would have been nice. Like maybe if she had reached out or extended more to me as the adult, I was like, well, you know, like you're both adults now. So what do you want now? I'm like, I guess I would want her to reach out. And she's like, do you, so you want there to be a reaching out? I was like, yeah, I would like there to be a reaching out. She's like, well, you know, how, how can you, the person, if, the person that you have control over, if you have control over anyone, is you. So if you want, if you want there to be a reaching out, uh, then what, what can you do? I was like, just keep wishing that she does it. Or, <laughs> uh, like, it was my, my, dad seven, my dad turned 70 and she threw a surprise party for him. She, like, uh, and I, br- I, like, wrote her, I, you know, I wrote him a card and I wrote her a note uh, just, like, expressing, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a comedian. I, I communicate. I talk for a living. I communicate with so many people in my life, friends, family, like fans, strangers, uh, audiences. And like, yeah, I definitely have the capacity to do this thing that I, at least some part of me thought it was her responsibility, you know, to do the thing that she never knew I might've wanted her to do, which was actually the thing that I wanted myself to do because it wasn't about myself or her. It was about just the doing of the thing, the reaching out, the communion. Uh, and so, yeah, we, you know, this doesn't solve everybody's problem all of the time, but it has certainly been a helpful tool to realize that when we wish for something to be, it's sometimes possible for us to provide that thing. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And it feels like you're like magically tying a bow on a lot of the whole conversation. But the quick kind of adding to it is I have a friend that like owns a record store. And I feel like I've had situations with other people where they've told me like that person, you know, or a lot of times like even outside of him, like, Sometimes you'll work, walk into a record store or you can, there's other types of stores like this that you can say, and you might walk in thinking that the person that works there or owns it isn't like a nice person, but you put that on when you went there. You could have a conversation with them and realize that they aren't a nice person, but you walked in there with that, you know, not, and I'm not tying it too much to how you acted with your stepmother, but maybe you know it's like you almost had an idea of like who your stepmother was and your relationship together and now you're kind of looking at like oh well i guess i had a hand in that you know um you know one, so that's 100 percent. yeah and i even think about that in terms of like how i approach this 
podcast, like sometimes when I say no or ooh, you know, and then it's like, but you've never even experienced it enough to know. You might, I might arrive at the same place at the end of it, you know, but it's like, you should eat your vegetables every once in a while is kind of the thing. It's like, you might actually like it, or you might be able to enforce the thing that you're like, I don't really like that. And that's fine. But you never knew if you never tried. Yeah. It might offer a new useful data point for your future growth. Like I've had some experiences that I would have at the time called negative that later I'm like, Oh, like I'm grateful for, who I am in this moment in some part, sometimes in part directly uh, because of uh, an experience previously. Like there's a Khalil Gibran quote I like and share a lot from the prophet where he says, the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain, which isn't to say go out seeking sorrow. There's plenty available uh, at any time, you know, in the world and perhaps in individual lives. But, you know, we can, and, you know, the sorrow that might be caused to you by listening to uh, a piece of music or an album yeah. that you think you won't like and maybe you don't like, like maybe that will, uh, you know, increase the joy you have when listening to the music that you do like by some percentage. So true. <laughs> I don't even know what to add to it, you know. Um, I guess, you know, so that we can, I, I know I've kept you for a little while. Uh, the other little fact I'll say about Dan Byrne is that, uh, he is a big baseball fan. I know he's written about it a lot. The other thing is I found it interesting that he was a tennis teacher for a really long time, uh, which also kind of goes to make me think that sometimes along the journey, you know, people that do something they love, they still have to do other things, you know, um, and it's like, it felt like I just needed, you know, to mention it. Um, so, so I guess going back to you, you, like we said at the top, you have a podcast called Broccoli and Ice Cream. Uh, you were nice enough to have me as a guest last year for really no reason. We were, we were strangers, but it was a lovely chat that we had then. And, you know, and I, I, was I super appreciate it. Happy to have you. Happy to meet you. Yeah. Happy to know you. Yeah. Look, it's like uh, I had that potential. It was potentially, you know, getting getting to know a new person. Uh, you could have been the worst person in the world, but mm -hmm. uh, but that led to this wonderful conversation that we're having right now. And also, I very much enjoyed having you on my show. Yeah. Um, so you also put out a record last year called AKA, a stand-up album. Yeah. And uh, it's a very amazing album. Um, I Thank think you. I maybe told you that last time. Um, so people should check that out. Uh, where can people find you on the inter internet? And sure. Where will you be, I guess, in person? Oh, sure. Thank you for asking. Uh, before I answer that, I'm just going to share one last lyric that I loved on the album. Oh, please do. Oh, please which do. is uh, in the final song on the, tr uh, on the, on the thing, the final track, uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, which is sort of a Thanksgiving Day parade of a song with the verses like floats. They just keep coming. Um, and in the one of the lyrics is, the music keeps on grinding uh, and we'll have to bring our own tunes. Uh, but the final, the final line I wrote down, it, I don't know if it's the final one in the song, but the orchestra it played, Kissing the Whole Universe. And I just loved that very much. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. To, to say, to kiss... 
this part of the universe, uh, goodbye for now. I will let people know that, uh, so my name is Mike Kaplan, uh, spelled M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. My website is MikeKaplan.com. My social media is Mike Kaplan, spelled that way. I have a a weekly newsletter that I send out that has, it always has like several jokes, uh, like three, three jokes or other fun units, I call them. Uh, this it's called art nuggets and it's at mikekaplan.substack.com so people can sign up for that i'll also like in addition to jokes i share you know where i'm going to be what live streams i might be doing uh and what live places i might be performing uh the, the places that are coming up as of right now uh tonight pittsburgh where i am don't know if this is coming out immediately <laughs> but uh in a couple weeks uh hartford and then boston uh, in September, Salem, Massachusetts. In October, uh, I'll be in Milwaukee and St. Louis and a couple other places. I think right now in November, I'm scheduled to be in Raleigh and Indianapolis in December. And there'll be more things added. I live in New York, so if you're in New York, certainly uh, I do shows there all the time. And uh, don't don't always include them all on my website, but most of the dates are on my website. Uh, you'll find out more by going by subscribing to my newsletter you can also subscribe to for more than weekly if you want more jokes uh but yeah and then your thank you for already mentioning the podcast and the albums but yeah i've got a bunch of other albums that you can find uh by searching my name mike kaplan uh in whatever your preferred album delivery method is well thank you so much thank you man Welcome back. Thanks again to Mike for coming on the pod. Please check out his podcast, Broccoli and Ice Cream. Also, like I mentioned at the top, Mike's amazing new comedy album from last year, AKA. Please check that out. So great catching up again. Okay, next week we're chatting with Kylie Lots of the band Pedal. We talked about George Harrison's 1973 album, living in the material world. Always love talking with my friend Kylie. Tune in. It's a great chat. As I mentioned at the top, check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media. That's at spinningoutpod on Twitter and Instagram. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do that sort of thing. And as always, thanks to Sarah for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.